0: Welcome to season seven of FOMO Sapiens, the show for people who don't just follow the crowd, but instead take their own path to success in business and in life. I'm back. I'm your host Patrick J. McGinnis, venture capitalist by day, author and podcaster by night, and FOMO Sapiens 24 seven. And yes, it is a new season. I'm very excited, and I got to tell you, FOMO Sapiens is growing up. What does that mean? It means we're adding just a little bit of structure. And what does that mean? Well not bad structure. I promise good structure. And that means that each season is going to have a theme. Okay. And the theme of season seven is entrepreneurship, not a shocker, right? I mean, we talk about entrepreneurship all the time, but why are we doing this? Well, Team FOMO Sapiens has been working hard to give you more value as listeners, and so we are planning. I mean, you would not believe how by the seat of our pants things have been at times. It's gotten a lot better over the years, but the idea here is to think about how we group a season together so that we can bring consistent themes, and we'll have other seasons coming along that will address other important things that are obviously going to be related to entrepreneurial thinking, but will be different aspects. And so then each week we can give you a guest and a phone Monday that supports that theme. And it's just going to be more integrated, which I think is really good, way more strategic. And so I'm really excited that we have taken the time to plan things out And, you know, the the thing about entrepreneurship, the reason why I love this for our season seven is because I was recently at the acupuncturist on the acupuncturist table and my acupuncturist Richard was telling me that 2022 Chinese New Year, which was in February, ushered in the year of the water tiger. Now, I didn't realize there was more than one kind of tiger, but there is. And the water tiger is special because those born during a Tiger year, and particularly the water tiger, are said to possess some of the qualities of the animal itself, including courageous, assertive, and natural leadership. Now, I would I would also think maybe a little cuddly because, you know, tigers, as long as they're not attacking you, are kind of cute. Now, tiger signs are also said to be hungry for thrill and crave attention, not to mention short-tempered, but capable of generosity. So, the thing about the year of the water tiger is it is a year to build, so Richard said to me, you know, you got to go out and you got to do things this year. You got to build stuff and that's what we're going to do. So that is why we were starting this season about entrepreneurship with somebody who knows how to do just that. My guest today is the actor, Josh Pack. Now, some of you may be asking yourselves, what? Entrepreneurship, an actor? Let me tell you something. This guy is as entrepreneurial a thinker as they come. And we're going to be talking about how you can apply entrepreneurial thinking in a place like Hollywood and into many aspects of your life. Now, I'll tell you, I had heard of Josh, of course, because, you know, the show Drake and Josh was around, but I was sort of older at that point. I wasn't watching Nickelodeon when it was kind of hot. But I ended up reading his book, Happy People Are Annoying, and when I did... I decided to do a little deeper dive into Josh's work, and he just happened to be on How I Met Your Father, and they had an episode called FOMO, by the way, so thanks, How I Met Your Father. And so I watched him, and I started reading about him, and I was so impressed, and I started taping with Josh. We got into the conversation, and halfway through the interview, I was sort of like, I don't wanna stop taping. And so I decided in that moment, as I was interviewing, that I was gonna make a double episode to start our new season, and so that is exactly what's gonna happen. We're going to do half of it this week, half of it next week, and I'll explain it all to you later. I will connect the two. I won't leave you hanging. So when we start next week, I'll give you a little refresh on what we had talked about. But this interview is really special, and I really appreciate Josh. He's a super open guy. He's super entrepreneurial, super thoughtful, just good people, major growth mindset, and he's just the kind of person who fits on FOMO sapiens. Now, if you don't know Josh, let me tell you a little bit more about him. He is best known for his role on the Nickelodeon phenomenon, Drake and Josh, which ran for three years between 2004 and 2007, for which he received a Kids' Choice nomination. Now, the premiere of the season was watched by more than 3 million people. It was their highest rated series premiere in nearly 10 years. And it was at its peak one of the top 10 most watched shows on cable every week. Now, since then, he's gone on to be on shows like The Big Bang Theory and The Mindy Project. He is starring in the new series, Turner and Hooch. He's on How I Met Your Father and on the new iCarly reboot on Paramount+. Plus. So this guy is everywhere. And he's also big on the socials. You can find him on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, where he has more than 32 million fans across all of those networks. So here's what we're going to talk about today. Here's the the meat. We're going to start out just talking about the fact that he lost 100 pounds in his teenage years in the public eye, and that sort of helped him figure out how to take the reins in the rest of his life. So I thought that was particularly interesting. We're going to talk about what it's like to be a child actor. And let me tell you something, the FOMO versus the reality in that world is pretty interesting. The fact of the matter is, he didn't make a lot of money. He has no residuals. So all the things you you think you see when somebody is in the public eye like that, whether or not they're able to actually build something sustainable, it's a whole different question. Now, as a result of the fact that he didn't make all that much money as a kid, he had to get creative and he had to think entrepreneurial to build a future for himself. And this is where we get into the fact that being an actor, being in showbiz and being a creative, it's a lot like entrepreneurship. It is entrepreneurship. And so we're going to discuss how he sort of learned to think entrepreneurially. And we're going to talk about his early pivot to social media, particularly Vine, where he got started monetizing himself, his persona, his kind of comedy, all the things he's good at online before a lot of other people did that. So he was early to the game. And as I mentioned, this guy has a growth mindset. So lots of good books and ideas recommended for him. Now, in that mindset, I want to make my small ask of the week, which is that I have this new LinkedIn course called Navigating FOMO at Work. Thankfully, thousands of people are watching it, so go to LinkedIn Learning and search for Navigating FOMO at Work, or just head over to patrickmcginnis.com under the tab Learn, and go check out the class. I want to know what you think. It's 10 episodes. It's It's basically taking the FOMO framework and then bringing it into the professional environment. I'm really proud of it. It is really slick, actually. It came out really nice, and so I would love it if you check it out. Let me know what you think. Give it a little review, rank, or share. Just check it out. All right. And now onto the interview. As you know, I start every interview with the same question. And of course, with Josh, it was no different. So I started our conversation by asking him my favorite question. What's a formative decision that you've had to make to get to where you are today?
1: Oh, just an easy softball. A (laughs) formative decision. You know, In a weird way, I feel like I haven't had much to do with the way in which my, the trajectory of my life, just because it's sort of been like, there was always ever just one decision, right? Because inevitably, I feel like it either is the right decision or a decision you had to take in which to learn something to inevitably get you to the next right decision. But I am avoiding the question. So here it goes. I... (laughs) I think it was, you know, at 17 years old, I was 300 pounds. And I had been sort of, um, I'd had this sort of phantom menace throughout a lot of my life, which was this idea that like, if I didn't lose weight, if I didn't contr- take control of my life in this one way, you know, literally and metaphorically, that I, I would never be able to take the reins of my life, like you know, Jocko Willink talks about waking up at 4am because it's like the first decision you make for the day that's uncomfortable. And if you can conquer that, then you can conquer making your bed and then conquer your workout, like do something that will beget the rest of the right decisions you make. Similarly, I feel like at 17, I had to make that leap and start this sort of weight loss journey where I lost 100 pounds and everything that came from my life after that was a direct result of, of taking the reins in that moment.
0: Okay. So that personally resonates with me. And the reason why, I don't even know if I, I don't really talk about this that often, but when I was a junior in high school, I lost around 50 pounds. Wow. And so, and now you make the point in your book, uh, happy people are annoying. And this is super fair that like you did this while you were like in the public spotlight. I was just in Sanford, Maine, um, running on a dirt trail behind my house. Cause I was ashamed to be seen jogging in front of my house. Right. Which is like, but so, so, and I think it's funny, like when in my section at Harvard Business School, the amount of people who had had big weight losses was surprising, actually, Mm. you know, it's, and I I think it's a driver because you go through that and then you have this like chip on your shoulder maybe, but, but it is, it's a very, uh, it's an answer that I appreciate because, you know, I get it. Right. And I think many people listening do.
1: Yeah. I I think weight is very specific because, Mm -hmm. There's a lot of ways in which you can fake good throughout your mm. life and present a outward picture that's that's quite different than than any inner turmoil that's going on. But weight is certainly an is an immediate manifestation of what's going on inside. For many people I don't want to project because When I grew up overweight, there was so much less body positivity in this idea that like all shapes and forms are beautiful and we've grown so much since then. So I, I know that my story isn't everyone's. But particularly for me, it always felt as though I walked into situations at a disadvantage because people made a snap decision about who I was, that I was Slovenly slovenly or unreliable or lack self-control and thus that would present itself in their dealings with me so i you know had this this chip on my shoulder from as far back as i can remember and i would imagine for high achieving people too that you know they have similar chips especially those who are able to get to uh, harvard business school and didn't slum it at wharton am i right fomo
0: quick math The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, or delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, access from anywhere. FOMO. <laughs> so one of the things that, so I, I read your book with great interest and, um, and it's, people should check it out. Cause it is, it's, I'm not just saying that I liked it a lot. And uh, w- one of the things that struck me is it's kind of like one of the themes is like FOMO versus reality. It's like you're on TV, you're on a top show on Nickelodeon, which, you know, is, is that's no, that's no small thing. And it looks so good. And the filters are there. But then there's the reality that's like life is life and like, you know, you still have to like get up and like do all the things. And like, you know, there's always a separation between what other people see and what we see in our own lives. So I want to talk about that a lot today, but let's start, just paint the FOMO part. Like tell us a little bit for, you know, people who may have heard your name and, but you know, they're maybe they weren't, you know, they haven't watched your shows or whatever. tell us about like the kinds of things that you were doing that the fun and the exciting, like kind of the upside, the FOMO of it all.
1: Well, I think what's a great example, and, and this does apply a little bit more to people who are who are familiar with me or who grew up with me, but I get questions now, which is like when Drake and Josh was at its height, what was that like? Mm-hmm. And I want to say uh, it's more popular today than it ever was when we were making it. You know, when I was a kid... I was on Nickelodeon, which was the dream for me because it was my favorite type of television. I was on The Amanda Show originally, which was like broad sketch comedy for kids. And I grew up a total shtick machine emulating The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air or Robin Williams or you know, tell- retelling jokes I'd heard my mom tell. So I love being big and broad and funny. So I had this great job where I got to do that every day. But you weren't leaving and having, you know, paparazzi follow you. I was going back to my apartment complex in my two-bedroom apartment with my mom, playing hockey with a buddy, and then you know, eating microwave pizza at, that his mom prepared. So in many ways, it was a saving grace because I didn't have to deal with such like insane stardom and 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 a lifestyle that was altered so dramatically. But in the same way, I want to tell people like whatever you think the show was. It wasn't like today where if you were on Stranger Things and it aired on a Friday night, by Monday, you had 20 million followers and you were kind of delivered as an actor. Uh, There was no social media. So when the show was over, uh, we didn't sort of have anything that we could take with us that was a value system. There's no residuals on kids TV. I mean, I talk about this in the book, but I'm giving it all to, to to the FOMOs, like, there's no residuals on Kids TV, and it doesn't pay great, which is, is not the biggest deal, except that in no way were you set for life in the way that you would be if you were on Modern Family or Two and a Half Men. And so I think a lot of people were like, don't you miss those days? And I say, it was great, but it was incredibly challenging, and I had to pre- be prepared for what was next. So I think that's kind of like the ultimate FOMO.
0: Yeah, I, that's fair. I, I I didn't know that, by the way, because we do think that we think you're you're a household name, you know, mm. in among a certain set, and therefore you're good to go. But we all know, of course, that like especially children actors suffer because there is all the uh, the red carpets, and I'm sure you got invited to like the Kids Choice Awards and all that stuff that like any kid would like literally like throw their family in a blender to be able to do themselves. <laughs> I mean, that's dark. Sorry. I, I, I was trying that.
1: but, but, then, and, but if you're going to do it, make it a Vitamix. Am I right? You, you,
0: exactly. Nice right. High, high quality for the uh, people.
1: Not a Hamilton beach.
0: <laughs> no way. And then, you know, everybody assumes that you're loaded and that your life is perfect. And you're like, yeah, listen, at least I'm saving money, but it's not like you are set for life in the way that, other people think. And so that is, that is the truth. Now in terms of just like, I also imagine that we just talked about, you grew up, you know, you were a bigger kid. I don't know what the proper terminology is, but like, but it is, it's you, you know, I always think about this, like, yeah, you can, you can lose all the weight, but in the inside, you're still the same person. You know, there's a lot of work to transform yourself, right? But being in the spotlight and then having all that pressure, I imagine as a kid, especially growing up, I mean, that is the reality is just that like you You got to feel a a lot of pressure and and discomfort.
1: Absolutely. I mean, as I said, like my awkward teenage years were in reruns. So I was (laughs) sort of followed by my origin story. And it was and I talk about this in the book. You know, in some ways, you're so loved and revered because people fall in love with you. They marry themselves to the first image that they fell in love with. And also at that time specifically, the funny fat guy was like, it was almost like a branding. Like it was almost like great packaging. Like, oh, he's big and funny. Like, I know what this is. I love what this is. I loved Belushi. I love Chris Farley. I love him, John Candy. Like there was something so, and like, obviously those guys were geniuses and I would be lucky to have even a 10th of what they had. But it was also like, I was joining this club and the only prerequisite was your girth. And, mm. and so dealing with this idea of like honoring that I had to risk not being as successful because I was joining the ranks of guys who were just like typical looking instead of this great niche I had carved out for myself. I was in one way abandoning that and that was nervous making. I was also sort of following my joy and what I knew I needed to do for myself regardless of my work. Um, And then dealing with this side of it, which I was never expecting, which was there were certainly people who were incredibly resentful that I had taken away this guy who they had fallen in love with. Um, And people don't love to be forced to reflect on their own issues and maybe where they could stand to make some changes and so once I lost all the weight a lot of the comments were you were funnier when you were fat stop trying so hard and it was certainly a lot to deal with mentally from what I just thought was something I was doing for myself and my cardiologist
0: wow that is it makes sense um but it's tough it's tough and and you know the one of the reasons why why, you know, your story resonated with me is because your arc reminds me of the arc of an entrepreneur because, and we'll go through some of these moments, but like you've, you kind of had, the thing about being in in this business that you're in is that there's no predictability. You can't plot a path forward. Like everything has to be like, no actor is like, well, in seven years, I'm going to be doing a star Wars, you know, trilogy. It's like, at any minute it can go away, just like an entrepreneur. You have mm-hmm. to build something and you have to be creative and resilient and always looking around the corner and building alliances. And it's, it's, it's a full-time thing, right? And it's not just like your agent calls you and is like, okay, well, here's like an incredible role and you can just do this. So what I want to do is kind of go through that. Some of the moments that, you know, I learned about you as I read this book. And the first one, which I thought was like the, <laughs> it's like the, Le Petit Entrepreneur, is when you walk up to the president of Nickelodeon and ask him to put you on a show. So take us, tell us that story and kind of where your head was at at that moment.
1: Oh, man, um, I, I would love to. I, You know, I was 12 years old. I was doing stand-up comedy in New York because I was never going to get, you know, any confidence or self-esteem from Little League. So... I had become this young stand-up in New York, auditioning constantly for Nickelodeon because I had exactly what they wanted. I was chubby, funny, and ambitious. And every day I would find myself either auditioning for a commercial or a TV show or a movie. And I wound up booking a movie for Nickelodeon, which was called Snow Day. And it starred Chevy Chase and Chris Elliott and Gene Smart. So I'm on set. I'd never even been out of the country. Now I'm in beautiful you know, Alberta, Canada. And I was doing some of my jokes for just this nice like, middle-aged guy who was a great audience. And when he walks away, my, wife, my, my mom, wife, that's Pavlovian, my, <laughs> my, uh, my, my uh, mom sidles up to me and says, uh, you know who that is? That's the president of Nickelodeon. Now, at that time, there was one show on Nickelodeon that was like the holy grail for me. And it was called All That. And it was like sketch comedy, SNL for kids. And I never could get on it. I'd auditioned maybe eight times. My mom said, You should tell him that you want to be on all that. And the chutzpah that I had to tell this guy who was the president of Nickelodeon, Albie Hecht, who would eventually go on to be the president of many networks, that I, Josh Peck, president of nothing, that I should be on one of his TV shows. I don't know how I had the guts, except that I was like 12 and was literally a comic, like a kamikaze pilot who blacked out and just said, you know, I'm going to do this for country. Um, (laughs) But I got a call nine months later and it was Albie saying, I'm moving you and your mom out to California to be on the Amanda show, which was the sequel to all that. And a year after that, we were making Drake and Josh, which was, you know, my very own show. So had I not taken that one leap, I I never would have. Would have sort of started the career, which which got me here, which is all I care about. FOMO. FOMO.
0: That's a great story, and and it is, it's incredible how like this one. I mean, a lot of times I like to talk about the fact that like one decision. There's no one decision that drives a life. Like we we make one decision, you open the door to the next set of decisions, and and I'm sure that happened if we were to go back then. There's a the next decision. So, but there is there are some of those crucible moments mm-hmm. that do shape where you go and. And it's like a courage thing. And what I love about that is because you were a kid, you had nothing to lose. You didn't think about like, well, what will people think of me or what? You just kind of did it. And we lo- sometimes we lose that as we grow up in the world, kind of like, you know, the world that like kind of pushes us around a little bit. Mm. But being able to tap into that that curiosity and that childlike sense of like, why not? You know, that is something that if you can maintain it, it's going to create a lot of opportunities for you.
1: You're so right. And I, you know, I was recently reading Robert Greene's new book, The Daily Laws, and it's basically every day, it's sort of a passage from one of his books, be it the 48 Laws of Power or Seduction, what have you, and him sort of like giving you something, a a takeaway for the day. And of course, throughout January, um, it was just a lot of like, reestablishing your connection with the thing you did before money was at play, or all the stakes of being a grown up, was weighing on your shoulders like what did you love without you know reservation and and I think that's a big part and and you know I was lucky enough in the vein of entrepreneurship when I had my podcast I interviewed Damon John and Gary Vaynerchuk and I I asked them both how long do you mourn a loss because I can really take things personal <laughs> and feel like when I when something doesn't work out, it's, it's but a preview of more bad to come. It's like a harbinger of like what's about to get even worse or, oh, it didn't work out because they know my worst suspicion about myself that I'm no good. And they both took a second to think about it and then they responded a few minutes, like that was how long they mourn a loss. And I was like, Well, that's why I'm interviewing you and you're not interviewing me. <laughs> like I was like Because of course you guys like to be that serially successful, I think to a certain extent you have to accept the fact that like it's a numbers game that a batter who, you know, strikes out two out of three times will still make it to the Hall of Fame and and not taking it so personal.
0: Yeah, that's right. I think if you if you fester in regret, you're, you're so focused, you're focusing your energy so far in one direction. You can't go in the next one. It's funny. You mentioned Damon, John, I just, you've mentioned him. I just like had this moment where I remembered something from like a couple of years ago. This is super random, but somebody who worked on his team, he loves FOMO apparently. And they brought me into his office and shot a little video for their Christmas party of like me talking about FOMO. So Damon, <laughs> I don't, never heard back from him though. I don't even know if they watched it, but if you did Damon and you're listening, Drop us a line. And we know
1: you are, Damon. Shout out, Damon.
0: (laughs) Of course you are. Now, uh, another moment that stuck out for me in the book, which I was really interested in, was Vine. Mm. Now, for people who don't remember, Vine was kind of like, I guess, I mean, was it fair to say it was kind of like TikTok before TikTok?
1: Oh, more than fair. It really was the original TikTok.
0: Yeah. So TikTok, it comes along. And you just jump on there kind of just in a very sort of like experimental way and it blows up and you're able to actually create a revenue stream for yourself in a way you never had before. So tell us about that.
1: So I was, you know, 26 years old and again, I had spent my entire career at sort of the mercy of the gatekeepers and so many people had a say in whether or not I would get a job and then inevitably make a paycheck from that job, be it producers, executive, casting people. And I think that's why you see so many actors go nuts over the years, even if they do find success, because it's so uh, it, it's just there's no metrics. It's at least in sports, like if your stats are at a certain level, like it's irrefutable, like you can't it, you can't deny it. And unless you're like a total jerk, if you're playing at an elite level and you have the stats to support that, you're probably going to find some success. But in acting, like you just, it's too, uh, I don't know if uh, it's, it's elusive. It's, it's ineffable. It's, it's just, you can't exactly put your finger on it. And so I found myself at that moment a little bit like in fear that my life was going to be in this holding pattern of constantly waiting for validation and permission from, from other people. So Vine comes out it's amongst the initial sort of Instagram, Vine, Twitter, the early social media apps. It's six-second videos. And basically, we saw that really funny videos or prank videos or stunts or you know, things going badly, like people falling down, were all sort of the things that really would soar on Vine. And I was just a fan. My girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, we would shoot each other videos back and forth. And one day she said, give it a try. So I shoot a video and I upload it. And I get a couple views and more than I thought, a couple thousand. So I make a few more videos. And by the next week, I'm now like, on the cover of the Vine sort of main page when people would log on to the app. It's the most popular video of the day. And another couple of weeks go by and now I've got like hundreds of thousands of followers. And I was lucky enough to have a friend, my buddy Rami, who was in social media early on. And I talk about this in the book a lot of finding your apostles and the people that help lead you throughout your journey. And and Rami, I was, I was sort of at this inflection point because I felt like I was starting to get recognized for Vine And I thought, if I continue this, I'm certainly going to make it known that I've really leaned into the social media thing. And in 2014, that was just so rare for someone from traditional TV and movies to embrace this side of the business. And I knew that I could either lean in or stop making it and people would eventually forget that I'd ever done it in the first place. And my friend Rami said, don't let anyone tell you what this is because no one knows. Even I don't, and I work at it, he said. But being able to create content for hundreds of thousands of people, getting their feedback, seeing what they like, what they don't like, and everything in between, that's powerful. So do this. In fact, do it every day. And, of course, you know, within six months, I'm the number one person on the app with millions of followers, and then it grew my Instagram and Twitter, and all of a sudden everything's firing. And like I say in the book, you know, It only made sense that investors came and Fortune 500 companies came soon after because, you know, no one's paying a 10x multiple for a Super Bowl commercial for love of the game, right? They do it because it has the most eyes. And so once I saw that I had this audience, I knew that, you know, brands and people who support this kind of thing were going to come calling. And when I made my first paycheck, I remember it was August of 2014. I made $5,000 from, from Vine for a dating app. And, and then I made uh, four of those videos in one month. And suddenly I was like, oh my God, now it's a good amount of money. It's not like life changing money, but suddenly I could walk into an audition without that air of, oh God, I need this so I can pay my rent. And I've
0: leaned in ever since. All right. We're going to stop right there. Obviously, we're in the upswing. Things are looking up, but life like entrepreneurship has many ups and downs. And next week, we'll start with exactly that. What happens when Vine, this new exciting place where Josh is building a persona and monetizing his skills and talents, disappears at about the same time that his TV show Grandfathered is canceled and he just has to pivot and figure out what is next. And it's a fascinating discussion. We will also talk about the mental health challenges that he encountered on his journey and how he dealt with them and what he learned. So it's a really good conversation. You're going to love it next week. And until then, check out Josh on the socials. His socials are at shuapec, which is Joshua without the J-O in the beginning, and Shuapec.com. All right, that'll keep you busy for a little while. And until next week, take care of yourselves. FOMO Sapiens. FOMO.